0: Lord Jesus, we thank you for these words that we sing, how they point us to faith in you. And we pray now that in these moments you would meet us and greet us. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Please be seated. In about uh, five days, my wife and I are going to get in the car and we're going to take our oldest daughter to Whitworth College. It's her first year. And I think we're going to probably run into the trips there on our way, or at least there on campus. And you know, over the last few weeks, uh, memories have been going through my mind as I think about the times that I've shared with my daughter over these last 18 years. And and I can remember times on the sand building sandcastles. And I can remember uh, watching her musical performance. I can even remember coaching her first baseball team. One memory though that sticks uh, very vivid in my mind is a memory I have uh, driving her when she was 5 years old to her preschool. She uh, got out of the car and was walking up the stairs to Miss Vicky's classroom. She turned and waved goodbye to me. And at that moment I took a snapshot in my mind's eye because I knew that there would be a day when I would be taking her to college and she would turn and she'd wave goodbye only then I wouldn't be back in the afternoon to pick her up. (laughs) Now, uh, my questions these days are a little bit different than my questions were then. See, back then I was wondering, uh, when's the day over? Who's picking her up? Are her teeth brushed? But these days I'm asking different questions. I wonder, in these last 18 years, what has she learned from me? What kind of role model have I been for her? How have I helped prepare her for her life ahead as a a woman, maybe as a wife, certainly as a follower of Jesus Christ? Because, you see, whether I recognize it or not, she was counting on me. She was counting on me to help her distinguish right from wrong. She was was counting on me to, to learn in part how a man ought to treat a woman. She was counting on me. To know Jesus Christ and what it means to be a lifelong follower of his. She was counting on me. And uh, there are many people, it turns out, that are counting on me these days. But I wonder, as we move into this message today, who's counting on you? Now, as Paul is writing this letter to the Romans, the Christians there in Rome, uh, Paul's writing it to an audience that was no longer asking that question. You see, because it had been very hard on them to be followers of Jesus Christ, they'd fallen on tough times, hardship and persecution were uh, making it very difficult to be a follower of Jesus in those days. And so many of them were giving up on Jesus and they were giving in to anyone or anything that would help them get through those times. Now, uh, we don't experience much in the way of persecution these days in the U.S., do we? But life can get hard. Life gets hard when the people close to us suddenly turn sick or tragically die. Life gets hard when in marriage we're beating each other up more than we're building each other up. Life gets hard when the projects we're working on fall way behind schedule or maybe the relationships we're in the people at work or, or the politics become just too much to bear. Life gets hard when the financial pressures uh, build up and we wonder how we're going to make the house payment or if we're even going to be able to get groceries for the month. Life can get hard. And hard times tend to produce within us a, a reflex reaction that either causes us to pull back where we intentionally avoid the circumstances that we're in or they cause us to jump forward and do whatever it takes to solve the situation that we're in no matter what. And I think it's maybe that reflex reaction that makes us so vulnerable to temptation, unfaithfulness in marriage, or acting out an addiction, or taking on a business venture that's maybe a little shady, or making promises that we can't keep. Or perhaps it's putting the relationships that are closest to us up on a shelf while we deal with these circumstances. Until the day when we realize, though, That it's too late, and we can't any longer take those relationships down to dust them off. God has a better for us. There's a better alternative. And what I'm saying is really forming sort of the background or the foundation for everything else that I want to say in this message this morning. Because you see, each of us, as we move through life, are are deeply connected with the people that God has placed in our lives. Now, some of us have more of those people in our lives than others, right? But my point is that this morning, this afternoon, this evening, tomorrow, next month, every day that you and I live and we breathe, we matter. We are needed. We are being counted on. We're being counted on. So standing strong in difficult times means more than just moving through those times and getting to the end. What standing strong in difficult times being, or as Paul would say, being a conqueror, more than a conqueror, means moving through, getting through those difficult times with our marriages intact, with our integrity undamaged, with the relationships we have with our kids and and maybe our parents, keeping those still strong. That's what standing strong in in difficult times means because we have influence. We have influence over a network of relationships that God has given us in our lives. So really the question that I am asking this morning as we move into this message is a question about influence. Who's counting on you? Now as Paul uh, moves us through this passage, really what he's giving us is a map. He's giving us a map for how to move through the maze that life can become when uh, it gets difficult. And the map is really an acrostic I uh, developed for mind and attitude and purpose. So I want to go through each of those, mind, attitude, and purpose. And the first thing I want to say is that we stand through difficult times when we keep our mind focused on Jesus and not on our problems. Now, the more time we spend focusing on how big our problems seem or, or how uh, unmanageable our problems seem or how unsolvable our problems seem, the more time we spend focusing on that, well, then the bigger those problems become and the more helpless we feel. But the more time we spend focusing on God and what we know to be true about God, well, sort of repeating those truths in our mind, then then we become empowered, and the more hope we feel. See how that works? Now, in verse 28, Paul says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. And see what he's doing here. He's taking the the thing that we know. We know, and he's, he's pointing us towards God. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Paul is trying to get our attention, to get our focus, and to get us focused on God and the truths that we know about God. Now, one of our reflex reactions when we're going through difficult times is to begin to doubt God, is to begin to wonder if God's paying attention or if he even cares at all, right? We begin to wonder that. And, uh, and, and, and uh, in this passage, God isn't promising that he'll keep us out of difficult circumstances. Well, God, and God isn't promising that when we're in difficult circumstances, he's just going to make us feel all good and comfortable. What the promise is here is that God will work for our good. That God will work for good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. Now, Paul's own life story was filled with difficult experiences. But, you know, in each of those experiences, God met Paul with his promised goodness, so much so that by the end of Paul's ministry, he could write these words. He could say, you know, I I know what it is to be in want. And I know what it is to have plenty. Truth is, I can do, uh, I, I, I'm content in each and every situation because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, God didn't promise Paul that he'd keep Paul out of difficult circumstances. What he did promise is that he would work for Paul's good. And following Jesus didn't mean that Paul would be exempt from difficult experience, but what it did mean is that Paul would have the opportunity to see and experience God's promised goodness at work in his life. Now, uh, I have a friend that's starting up a ministry on the East Side. He's been uh, working at this for about a year. And it's been a long haul for him as he's been trying to build up relationships with supporters and put together a board and sort of win people's confidence in his vision for ministry. Well, uh, a week ago this last Friday, I received an email from him telling me that he was taking a, a group of international students on a retreat. It was the first ministry initiative of uh, his, this ministry on the east side. And uh, he was asking me for prayer. Now, this was a big deal. He was laying it on the line. He was laying it on the line with his supporters. He was laying it on the line with the board. You know, they they had the first time, this was the first opportunity they had to see if this this ministry was really going to take effect, if it it was really going to do anything. So I sent this email out to a a number of uh, pastors and Christian leaders that are forming a network here in the Bellevue area, and, and we prayed for him. Well, uh, this is what he wrote for me. He said, uh, this is a new frontier for me, and I feel a little out of sorts in how to communicate, how to befriend, how to care for these students. But I am looking forward to seeing God do his thing. Isn't that great? I'm looking forward to God's, uh, uh, seeing God do his thing. Well, uh, we prayed, and Monday I heard back from him, and it was a big yay God. He said, I was amazed at these students. I was amazed at how they worshipped and how they listened to Christ's message of hope as it was translated in English, Portuguese, and Spanish. I was unprepared for their passionate worship. I was brought to tears as the songs were sung in several languages. We had one student who committed his life to Christ, but many others left with a new beginning. All I can say is that all that attended were blessed by God's presence. And my ministry will never be the same. Isn't that great? God did his thing. God did his thing in that fellow's ministry. You see, by keeping his mind on Jesus, he stayed encouraged and he stayed focused in that ministry. And the same is true with us. If we keep our mind on our circumstances, then we can become overwhelmed, we can become discouraged, we can become even conquered. But when we put our mind on Jesus, well, then that encourages us and we find peace and we find strength for the difficult situations that we're going through. Well, hard times can either make us or break us, can't they? And it's not what happens to us, but it's how we respond to, happen that, uh, how we respond to what happens to us that matters. Uh, th- and that brings me to the second point that I want to make today, that uh, strong, uh, we stand through difficult times... When we align our convictions about, uh, I'm sorry, when we align our attitude with our convictions about God. Now, you've probably heard it said that, uh, you know, attitude determines our, help me out, our altitude, right? Our Attitude determines our altitude. And that our attitude often determines our approach to life. It determines the quality of relationships that we enjoy with other people. It oftentimes is the difference between our success and our failure. Well, Paul, as he writes these verses in Romans, he, 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 he is concerned about our attitude. And more specifically, he's concerned with aligning our attitude with our convictions about God. So Paul wants us to know that God loves us. He wants us to know that nothing will separate us from the love that God has for us. He wants us to know then, in every circumstance, God is working for the good. Now, aligning our attitude with our convictions, we rely on God. We rely on God's grace. We rely on God to provide us strength and wisdom, to provide us for everything we need as we're going through that circumstance. Aligning our attitude with our convictions, then we... We uh, trust God. We trust in God's love for us. Trusting that even though our, our love for God may be wavering, God's love for us still remains strong. And Trusting that even though our grasp on God may be a little lifeless, that God's grasp on us is firm, unwavering. Aligning our attitude with our convictions, we accept the circumstance that we're going through, even though we may not be able to understand why accepting that God, in the middle of this, is somehow going to work for good. Now, about a year ago, I uh, met with a couple who I'd married ten years prior, and they'd come to me because their marriage was in a lot of trouble. Her story was that he was in an emotional relationship with another woman, and that he was never around the house, that he'd left all the parenting up to her. His story was that she didn't care about him, that she was depressed all the time, and all she could do was uh, worry about and care about their son. And together, they were caught up in this endless cycle of of blame, of self-pity, of anger, of resentment that just kept going around and around. And we began to talk, we talked about a number of issues, but one of the things that I asked of them was to love each other. Now, not with that emotional kind of love, because that love was gone. But what I was asking of them was to love each other with a Christ-like kind of love. A love that is a verb. A love that is an action. A love that gives. A love that sacrifices. A love that is an attitude. Because, not, not love that is the emotion, because the emotion of, of love will, will come back later. Well, I gave him a number of assignments, and the first assignment I gave him was to give up that emotional relationship, because you can't work on your marriage and have your heart wrapped around someone else. So uh, they began to to work on a number of different issues, and the second time I saw them, they were listening to each other a little bit better. You know, there was a deeper level of understanding. There was empathy. The third time I I, uh, met with them, uh, they'd started a regular date night, and they were enjoying it. They were having fun. The last time that I met with them, they looked a lot like that couple that I first met with as they were going through premarital counseling. You see, an attitude of love had replaced that attitude of self-pity, of blame, of anger, of resentment. And they were emotionally in love again. Now, the couple had the freedom to choose their response. And what they chose to do was the one thing that they could do. Not try and work on each other, but rather work on their own attitude, to work on their own approach. And bringing their attitude in line with their convictions about God, they trusted in God and relied on God. They chose to act in a loving way toward each other. And then as a result, the emotion of love returned to their marriage. Well, we stand in difficult times when we keep our mind focused on Jesus, not on our problems. We stand in difficult times when we align our attitude with our convictions about God. The last, uh, the last letter of this acrostic map is uh, we stand in difficult times when we live with purpose and keep the end in mind. Now, God created us for a purpose, and Paul gives us a glimpse of that purpose in verse 29. When he tells us that what God is trying to do, one of the purposes that God has in our lives is to change us, to to, uh, slowly transform us to become more and more like Jesus, to spiritually grow us up into the person of Jesus. Now, God's ultimate gift for us is not our success or sense of fulfillment in life, uh, a, a sense of happiness. What God's ultimate goal for us has to do with is character development. It's character formation. What God wants to do is to help us become more and more like Jesus to the people who live around us. Now, uh, God uses hardships often to form that kind of character within us. Uh, But in order to do that, we need to keep the end in mind. And by that, this is what I mean. Maybe a little exercise to help. To start by thinking about the kind of person... You want to be, by the end of your life, to, to ask yourself some, some questions about what would people say, your, your friends, your neighbors, your, your family members, the people who are closest to you, what would they say about you if you weren't around anymore? You know, What would they say about, your, about you at your memorial service? Or how about the, some of the people that matter to Jesus' heart as well, like the poor, the spiritually lost? What would, what would, what would they say about you? what are you doing today that will impact what they say about you then? Now, uh, to live with purpose is to understand that what God is doing is that he's trying to to change our character, to work on our character so that we become more and more like Jesus. So to live with the end in mind means to develop in our own mind a clearer understanding of the, the kind of character that God is trying to develop in us. Sort of like, 1 Corinthians 13. You know how that verse goes? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. Or maybe a a Galatians 5 kind of character, or uh, fruits of the Spirit, or joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. All those kind of look like Jesus, don't they? So, to have the end in mind means to take that image, that, that kind of character, and to put it clearly in mind. So that we can then intentionally take the steps that will more and more display the character of God, the character of Jesus, as we move through those difficult times. Now, uh, one of my best friends made some, some very bad decisions, uh, business decisions, a number of years ago. And he invested some money that really wasn't his to invest. And started a landslide in his life that ended up with him losing his job, his business, and his marriage. Well, he was devastated, absolutely devastated. His first turn was to go to his church. He started attending regularly. He, uh, Boy, he just any Christ-centered message that he could get his hands on, he, he listened. And he prayed a lot. He, he started to focus less on what his ex-wife was doing, and he started to focus more and more on the one thing that he could do something about himself. And so he started to focus on his own character defects. He shared and confessed with his wife about what he had done wrong, and he confessed with a number of his friends the same kind of thing, what he had done wrong. Well, uh, within about a month uh, or two of uh, uh, after he was unemployed, he he got an employment opportunity from a a national firm. He prayed about it. He uh, felt led to take it, and uh, and so he accepted the position. It was a mid-level position. Pretty humble circumstances for an ex-CFO of a fairly successful business, particularly one that he owned. But, you know, his, his newfound integrity and his hard work ethic, it began to win loyalty among his employees and among his employers. And today, he, is, uh, he has a very significant position in the company. He has a reputation of being a man of integrity, He has a a new relationship with his kids and I even hear that he's thinking about starting a date every once in a while. Well, keeping his eyes on Jesus and not on his problems, it gave him hope even when it looked like he'd lost about everything. Bringing his attitude in line with his convictions, he could work on the one thing that he had control over himself and then he could trust God for the rest. Keeping the end in mind, he, uh, he, he, he began to, uh, he acted in a way that was consistent with the character that he believed God was growing in him. And although he initially let the people down that were closest to him, today he has new influence. He has a, a, a new, uh, new relationship with his kids and the people who are closest to him. See, he followed the map. God doesn't promise that we would be exempt or kept out of trouble for the rest of our lives, but what God does promise is that He would work in our troubled times for the good. And He proved that on a hill outside of Jerusalem called Calvary. It was there that God took the cross, which was an instrument of human pain and torture, and He made it into the gavel with which He, he uh, proclaimed our liberation that when Jesus died on the cross, God proclaimed the judgment that is on us all, not guilty. Romans 8 starts with there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, and it ends with nothing will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can stand strong through difficult times because Jesus stands strong with us, and that is all we need. Heavenly Father, we want to pray and thank you We thank you that you are a God who is with us, that you are a God who is for us, and that even in difficult times you are shaping and you're forming. and, And, Lord, nothing will take us out of your purpose and your plan for life. Lord, we pray that this morning you would encourage us and that, Lord, you would shape us. And we will give you the praise in Christ's name. Amen.